Welcome to Beans and Breakdowns, a podcast dedicated to bridging the gap between specialty coffee and the heavy music community. On this episode, I'm joined by Haley Sliwa, roaster for Brewpoint Coffee in the Chicago, Illinois area. So grab a fresh cup of coffee and wake the fuck up! What's going on, Caffeinated Crew? Today, I'm joined by Haley. They are a coffee roaster for uh, Brewpoint Coffee, which is out of Elmhurst, Illinois. Mm-hmm. That's correct. I got yeah. that right. Okay. <laughs> I have a bag right in front of me, but I realized it doesn't have any... Oh, it does. Okay. <laughs> Elmhurst, <laughs> Illinois. Haley, how are you doing this afternoon? I'm good. I'm really good. How are you doing? I'm doing great. Having a nice afternoon cup. Uh, it was a late morning for me, so this is my second one. I don't know about you, but yeah, I needed it. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) I'm still milking my first cup today. Okay, good. We're working through it. It's cold now, but it's good. You let it, do you like letting it kind of mellow out so you can taste all the, the nice flavors? Yeah. I, it's like a point of disagreement in my coffee shop. Like the temperature that you start your pour over at, I always start at 212. I want it starting at boiling. I wanted to hurt me at first um, and then kind of let it cool down to get the full spectrum. Um, mm-hmm. That's how I prefer to do it. But so, so you do straight off the boil. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, wow. See, I, yeah. I mean, that is definitely a good argument because at work I let it simmer. Like I let the coil rest, not the coil, the, the kettle rest mm-hmm. for a minute or so. Cause I don't have a temperature gauge, but at home two Oh five. i hear you but (laughs) (laughs) i'm a 212 person we did like a side by side my coworkers are not gonna laugh at me because this is always this is always the back and forth we did like a side by side of a pour over we like we have these they're like they're used for holding creamer um but they can still hold like hot liquids and it kept it at temperature and we tried to pour over side by side. We did one at 205, one at 212. Um, and like we all kept the same opinions. We're like, this one is better. You're wrong. But it's We've always learned, a back and forth. We have learned nothing from this. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> We've only learned that we're stubborn. I think the 205 thing for me is because I, I'm a bit insecure when it comes to like jumping on trends. So if mm-hmm. I see somebody like James Hoffman, and he's like, 205 is what you should brew at. Then I'm going to do it because I like that guy. He knows a lot about yeah. coffee. But then he, he himself was like, does it matter if you pull it right off the boil? Did it? He's like, it doesn't matter. Yeah. So it's like, I don't know who to believe. And so I just kind of <laughs> yeah. do what feels safe to me. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But I mean, I have done... If you have like a light roast coffee and you do it right off the boil, you're going to get great extraction. Yeah. Um, so maybe don't do it with like a dark roast coffee. But yeah, and like I typically I typically will do dark roast on like French press. Mm-hmm. And so like then it's like sitting for a little bit. Yeah. That like yeah. I, in immersion, I don't think it matters at all. Like I think yeah, you can take no. a take a, a boiling pot of water off the stove and just dump yeah. it in and it'd yeah. be fine. Absolutely. Um, 
but for v60 which is like my go-to yeah uh definitely i'm a bit more careful because <laughs> every yeah. little detail <laughs> yeah. kind of matters um but yeah yeah Absolutely. do you love french press are you a french press person i if i have the patience for it i'll do it um i also am more of a dark roast person um okay. and especially like getting into cooler weather um i prefer dark roast um mm-hmm. and uh the decaf that we have i love decaf um i'm like i a huge huge advocate for decaf coffees and for decaf being good and like our decaf is a darker roast mm-hmm. and so i always gravitate towards that one i love it nice decaf does tend to be a bit darker too mm-hmm. i don't know what the deal is with that is it the processing or do you happen to have that answer <laughs> Yeah, I feel like I don't have like the answer, but I do know that like it has to be related to the processing that like you can just take it darker mm-hmm. um, and probably something in like whether it's like an ethyl acetate decaf or a water process that like I feel like all of the ones I've had yep. have just been a little bit darker. Yeah, every water process decaf has been darker for mm-hmm. what I've seen. So I don't know. Yeah. We're going to ask the water process God if he knows. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> why is it all dark roast? Yeah. I think my friend has, he has a Mexican dark, no, a Mexican decaf that he does not roast dark. Yeah. Uh, but I'm going to have to get a clearer answer from him because I've yeah. never tried it. <laughs> yeah. And I'd be curious to try like a light roast decaf. Like if I ever saw it anywhere, I would totally buy it. I would. Yeah, definitely. Because light roast is like my... I'm a very third wave hypey person when it comes to yeah. coffee. So if they just gave me like, like raw beans with like a sear, a light sear on the outside, yeah. I'd probably drink it. Yeah. It would just taste like green vegetal. But yeah, I tried white coffee for the first time. Okay. Like a year and a half ago. I like couldn't find it anywhere at any shops down in Chicago. And mm. I was just like, I want to try it because people ask me about it. And I happened to find it. Um, my best friend lives in Stevens Point, Wisconsin, which is like they've got a college campus, but like mm-hmm. it's not a huge town, and it doesn't have like a bustling coffee community. But they happen to have it up there, like okay. the least expected place. I was finally able to try white coffee. What was it? What What did you find? I. It was very strange because have you, have you ever had it before? No. Yeah. So white coffee is coffee that's dropped pre-first crack. Okay. So it's like been in the roaster for like a few minutes. I don't know like the roast curves. I don't know what temperature they bring it to, but they drop it pre-first crack. Um, and because the beans are still like they have all their moisture, you have to run a shot through it once, throw that water away, and then run a shot through it again. If you like, if you ever see like a picture of it, it looks like skim milk. It like doesn't even really look like coffee. It tastes like kind of earthy and grassy, not in like a macho way, but in like a, I don't like it way. Um, (laughs) I do like, it was, it's just, it's a strange experience. And like, if you didn't know it was coffee, you probably wouldn't guess that it was coffee. but the big draw of it is that it has like truly t- like twice the caffeine 
of like a traditional espresso shot because none of that water or less of the water is leaving the coffee beans. Um, mm-hmm. It leaves a lot more of the caffeine intact. I mm-hmm. think Dutch Bros does white espresso shots. That's very surprising. That to seems me. right. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I was very surprised. Um, yeah, and it's so, like that's why people get it because it has a lot more caffeine in it. I mean, that makes sense. Yeah, yeah. like pe- pe- the same people that go for um, what's that one death death wish? Like where it's just yeah. Robusto yep. that's been like, yep, roasted to to oblivion. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. yeah. I mean, to each their own. If you just want coffee, yeah. like a coffee, like syringe, like of caffeine. <laughs> yeah. But I respect uh, it. I mean, go for it. Go <laughs> yeah. for it, right? Yeah. Uh, yeah. It was a good experience a... to have just trying mm-hmm. white coffee because people ask at my shop about it on occasion. And so if you have the chance, I'd say just to try it to know, but to not go on some like Odyssey-esque adventure trying to find it. I may see if I can convince one of my friends to, to, uh, cause one of my good friends runs a, a roastery here. Mm-hmm. And uh, what I may do is, is ask him if he'd be okay with me taking like, you know, a little five pound batch yeah. and throwing it in to see if yeah. he, um, actually one of the bags that I sent you, it's, it's balance. That's oh, like, yeah. Yeah, yeah, one yeah. of my best friends. Um, so but he will probably be like, that's stupid. I'm not going to do it. Yeah. But maybe, <laughs> maybe we can get it. I know, but he, I don't know. <laughs> we'll, we'll, I'll put out feelers. Um, yeah. So I, what are you drinking on your side? Yeah, I just have uh, our Stargazer blend. Um, we always have it in all of our shops. It's just like a casual dark roast. Um, nice. It's just like easy. I don't always want like... Like... <laughs> something with crazy tasting notes especially when i'm still like getting going i'm like i just want coffee so we're just don't try and true nice i always want weird coffee notes um (laughs) unless i'm like sick or something and then i'm like i'm just gonna do something comfy uh but i am drinking the bondoloso (gasps) my baby (laughs) i have been waiting it's a uh it's indonesian from east Mm -hmm. java and it's super delicious. Uh, when I opened it and ground it, a uh, huge honey smell. With yeah. I tasted like some toasted almond, but it kind of mm-hmm. came through uh, like a, on a fruitier side. Super good. Yeah. That pear and honey definitely comes through. Unfortunately, yeah. I was keeping, I brewed it a bit early, so I'm keeping it in this <laughs> little mug thing. Yeah. <laughs> I hate like the, the thermal trapping mugs. <laughs> Yeah, because I feel like it unnaturally keeps coffee warm and makes it taste weird. But yeah, it might be mental. It's good. <laughs> I'm glad you like it. I that coffee's my baby. I'm obsessed with it. So, so tell me what went into um, doing a light roast Indonesian? Because I feel like a lot of the Indo Chinese coffees, like Sumatras, especially, people think that you got to really, really roast them. Mm-hmm. Um, but I have also found that these lighter roasted like Indonesian and even Sumatras have such great character that yeah. you don't find yeah. like a lot. Yeah. I, and I will say I had to do like a little bit of convincing of some of like my coworkers. I'm like, I want, I want an Indonesia cause we've never had that origin, at least to my knowledge mm-hmm. at brew point. That's kind of been like a small hobby of mine, especially this last couple months of like trying to find new origins that we haven't, explored yet and 
like I was mentioning, I'm like, yeah, I really want to do this. And like, there was some hesitancy from some of the people I'm around, like reasonably. So I'm still like a little new at all of this. And so I, I understand it. Um, but yeah, I just like threw it on our little sample roaster and it's, it's not like super light. I was trying to avoid like too early of a drop, but it was like, just on like almost the gradient into medium. Mm. And I think that because it's a naturally processed coffee that I think that like naturals you can bring just like slightly darker than you think you can. Mm -hmm. Um, that like leaning less into like that intense brightness. Um, and I think it keeps that coffee like more palatable to people who aren't super familiar with like natural processes or like don't lean towards like super light roasts that are super acidic that it just felt like a really accessible coffee. And it made me really excited to be able to like talk to our baristas and like everybody who tried it was like, Oh, this is like really good. Like mm -hmm. a little bit of surprise. I'm like, yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I tried to tell y'all. Yeah. It is. It's a great coffee. I think it has some nice traditional character to it, mm -hmm. but that, that natural kind of, you know, fruitiness does come out really well. And, and it's not like an over complex coffee, but it's definitely, mm -hmm. like you said, it's a nice intro um, for your more traditional or, or old school kind of people. So yeah. great job. Kudos. Thank you. <laughs> and thank you so much for sending me this coffee. I, it's, I was super happy. I love getting little care packages from people because I yeah. like to see like, what if they stamp the box or like what kind of little mm -hmm. notes they send? I was super happy to get it, and I love the 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 bag is really nice. You can't see it, yeah. People <laughs> on Instagram will see it, yeah. So yeah, it's a nice little branding, super cute. So you've been at Brewpoint for how long? Yeah, I've been at Brewpoint for about three and a half, almost four years. Okay, and, but I've worked in coffee for five years. I did a year at Starbucks before jumping in a specialty coffee, but I've been a group one for almost four. Well, I've said this before that uh, Starbucks, I think a lot of the specialty coffee in third wave community owes Starbucks a debt of gratitude for, yeah. first of all, introducing the States to um, kind of what specialty coffee is trying to do, or they were trying yeah. to do what specialty coffee is, but we have an entire generation of baristas because of yeah. Starbucks culture. And yep. uh, it's great. Yeah. So. Yeah. And the, so the location that I worked at wasn't like, it was technically like a licensed store. So like mm -hmm. it was on a college campus. Okay. Um, so it was the Starbucks name without all the Starbucks perks. Right. <laughs> and I just knew I'm like, I enjoy this. I enjoy the craft of it. And I know that things are better somewhere else that it, here I'm just kind of a cog in the machine, but like, there's better and more out there um, uh, for which I'm like grateful for. And right. that like the location I was at was stupidly busy because it was a college campus. Right. Um, and so kind of going through that first, the like true insanity um, to then get to something that's like, we're still busy. It's just mm -hmm. a different busyness. Um, but yeah, I'm appreciative of my time there. How long have you been roasting? Yeah, I I want to say three years. I started I started at Brewpoint in like March of one year, and then started roasting right in October. 
Nice. Um, and so I got into it pretty quickly and just like, I don't know, it feels like something, it feels like it comes off. Like I'm saying it just to say it, but it is really just a great environment. Um, that's why I've stayed at Brewpoint for so long. Um, just the guys I learned to roast under and the people that I've learned coffee from, um, have just been so willing and wanting to share it with me and not like, like really helping me. Like, I think like the analogy of like, if there's not a spot at the table, like bringing up your own chair that like, we're bringing up a chair with you. Mm -hmm. Um, and really investing in me. Um, when I like, I just like came in, like I worked at Starbucks, but I want to learn how to roast. Um, but there was never like an eye roll. There was never like an, okay. At some point. Um, yeah, everybody there really invested in me and has just been a really great growing and learning experience over there. That's awesome. In the coffee community, I think you get both sides of the spectrum. You can get very pretentious or, you know, gate, gatekeepy kind of people, Mm -hmm. but then you get people like at Brewpoint where they're like, you know, we'll, we'll turn whatever coffee knowledge you have and like really shape that into something that's, that's going to be great and help you grow. So I'm very grateful for people like that as well. Yeah, absolutely. Did you want to learn to roast while you were at Starbucks or what kind of piqued your interest in that side of it? Yeah, I was definitely just more curious about like what else there was. Um, We weren't supplied with a lot of like educational materials at Starbucks, (laughs) (laughs) which like purposeful or not, um, that like, (laughs) it's fine. Um, (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) But yeah, I just, I really value learning a lot that like, that really drives. I just want to know as much as I can about something. And I had hit a dead end at Starbucks Mm -hmm. within the year. And I just wanted to learn more. And I knew that I just like, I just like had to seek out where to find more from. Um, And so I wasn't necessarily interested in roasting, but just interested in learning about the rest of it. Awesome. Um, And Brewpoint is a a, a woman-owned business as well. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Uh, Melissa's a woman and a woman of color also. Yeah. I I read a little bit on the website, Mm -hmm. which I think the whole story was that she was looking for a coffee machine online or something. (laughs) Yeah. And ended up buying like a coffee shop. Yeah. Yeah. She was looking for an espresso machine and saw the shop for sale. (laughs) And like also the stories is that like her, she's married to her husband now, but they were just dating. Mm -hmm. And it was very much like, we're just going to do it and see what happens. (laughs) (laughs) At least she had somebody with her to be like, let's just do it. Let's yeah. just go. It always takes the one enabler to be like, just do yeah. it. Yeah. yeah. And her family is great. Um, her like her parents come around the shop every once in a while, like especially for like bigger events that we host. Mm-hmm. Um, and her parents are just super encouraging. Um, and so she really did have a lot of people in her corner. And like it shows that she ha- really has a really strong support system that she is now like supporting the rest of us from. So did she have any kind of coffee industry experience before? I want to say not much. Okay. Yeah. And just kind That's of such a daunting, <laughs> such a daunting task. Yeah. Yeah. And like she, 
So the, one of the roasters that I learned under Ben, he started their roasting program and it was also kind of like learning it as we're doing it. Um, Mm -hmm. yeah, like definitely super daunting. Yeah. It's, I think that the coffee community is really great. I don't like calling it an industry. I mean, it is, but I like the word community because yeah, when you find people that you can learn from and like bounce things off of, that's really what, that's really what the the whole coffee world is about. It's just sharing, mm-hmm. like knowledge sharing. So I I think that probably Chicago has a great scene where if you hit up like another roaster or or if you're a fan of another person in town, you can you know usually hit them up and say like. Hey, I really like this coffee you did. Can you give me some pointers? Yeah. So I'm glad that you guys have been able to grow like that as well. That's awesome. Yeah. And like something else super cool that I get to be a part of, we essentially like rent time on our roasting machine to other mm-hmm. smaller roasters. Um, and so there's like, I want to say we're at five or six like wow. smaller roasters that'll like cycle through. Like I get to see a couple of guys for like two hours a week and get to like pick their brains about like what they're doing, like where, cause they use different importers than us. They're mm-hmm. getting different things. Um, and we were like having a problems with one of our decafs and what this, uh, his name is Devin. Devin and I was like, what are we doing? Like, how are we both just fighting this decaf right now? Um, and so that's been really good to just mm-hmm. like have that community and be able not only just to have it, but to be able to host it feels really yeah. meaningful. That like we are also a gathering place for other people in the industry that is like super valuable and important, not just on like a like existing and capitalism level, but on like a human <laughs> level. That like right. we're all in the same industry, but we're all in it together, mm-hmm. not just to compete, but to be do the best that we can. Right. I'm I'm such a fan of that, like that there's room for everybody. Mm-hmm. And like kind of getting rid of this whole like. I hate gatekeeping and elitism yeah. uh, within music, but also within kind of any niche or like subculture, which I think that coffee mm-hmm. is definitely when you get deep enough into it is a subculture of its own. Yeah. But like, hi, like you said, hosting people, having that space and and just, you know, ha- giving people free reign, like whatever you need, like we're here for you yeah, and, and vice versa. That's, I'm such a fan of that. Gassing up your friends. That's what yeah. I'm all about. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, absolutely. What What are some of the challenges that you have faced in the coffee community, whether it's like learning roasting or whether it's been coffee availability or like economics? What What is one big challenge that you see like for Brewpoint uh, in the coffee world? Yeah, I think I think something that I've been trying to balance lately is wanting to... I think I specifically wanting to explore more like direct trade or like smaller trade relationships and more intentionality behind that. Um, But also like there's a bigger price tag that comes with that. And that like, even though I find value in that and like Melissa finds value in that and my other coworkers find value in that, that trying to communicate like a higher price tag on a bag of coffee to customers that like, that like trying to communicate like these extra $4 to you translates to the rest of this on the other side of the world that like trying to have a balance of still being able to reach our customer base um, and still like 
being able to get bags of coffee out the door so we can keep investing in these communities um, and just like wanting to invest more in direct trade. And I, I've been meeting with this gentleman, his family owns coffee farms in Brazil and he's like trying to break into direct trade. And I'm like, I would love to be in this with you, but I don't know what I'm doing. (laughs) I don't know. I don't know how to guide this. And I don't have the bandwidth right now to guide this, but yeah, trying and really wanting to pursue more direct trade and more ethical and sustainable coffee sourcing. And like that, I feel like is the tension. And cause it's like, it's easy to buy from big importers. Like it's just the website and then it shows up at your door three, four days later. And like, it's trying to balance like the ease and the like knowing that if we pay so much for the green, people will pay this much for the roasted coffee, but then going out on a limb and it's like, where is that line where people are not willing to engage anymore? Yeah. A couple of other people I've talked to have, have raised that concern as well. Like, I don't know if you're familiar with memoirs and Knox, he's like around Knoxville. I think because did you have him on? Yeah, I, I yeah, had him on recently. <laughs> yeah, but but Rich, he he tries to do a lot in creating sustainable and meaningful relationships mm-hmm. with like coffee importing and things like that. Um, and his price tag is definitely on the higher end because he's doing like I think twenty percent over like the the value or something like that. So he's mm-hmm. trying to invest as much as he can to help like the producers and yeah. everyone down the line. But that's definitely a much smaller operation than what I think Brewpoint is doing. So his overhead, you know, is at a certain yeah. level. And um, but yeah, the coffee economics is something that's fascinating to me. I'm low-key debating going to school just so that I can learn more about yeah. like, like economics in that sense, because I see that as such a huge challenge. Like mm-hmm. the global global economics and then like in the US, what people think is fair compared to what is actually fair. Yeah. It's such a hard, (laughs) it's such a hard concept to navigate. Yeah, absolutely. Well, thanks for, you know, really sharing that because I think every time I have a coffee person on, I really want to know what's something that we should be aware of as coffee consumers um, and people that just, you know, go and buy our coffees or buy bags or whatever level of enthusiasm that we're at, people should know what's going on. Like, what it takes for that bean to make it to their cup. Yeah. And so thanks thanks for that. Yeah. I saw that you do roller derby. Yeah. (laughs) On a scale of one to 10, how violent (laughs) are you as a person? No. Um, Give me, give me a little backstory on that. Yeah. So the league that I see for currently, we're technically a new league. Um, we merged league. Um, we are uh, Chicago Outfit and DuPage Derby Dames. Nice. Um, both teams kind of met as they think they met twice, but the big meeting was as we were moving out of the pandemic. Out of the pandemic. Um, Is that, that air, quote, air quotes. <laughs> yeah, yeah. When we could safely return to play, there um, there's like a governing body over roller derby that was like really really strict about when we could return to contact play Mm -hmm. um and so as we were moving into being able to actually 
have practice and have games again. Um, both teams kind of met and were like, we don't have enough people for two leagues and we're both going to fold unless we do something about it. Um, and Chicago outfit has, they existed for a really long time. I had skated with them five years ago now. Um, I did about a year and a half. Um, and just like, because life of, I stepped away for a little bit. Um, but also DuPage Derby Dames, I want to say they were also around for 10, a little over 10 years. Um, and yeah, it was just like a very, I wasn't at the original meeting, but like hearing about it, it was a very humble and just loving meeting of like, we all love this sport so mm-hmm. much and we want to keep playing. Um, it is a wonderful community. It's so great. And it's so inclusive of everyone. Like there is a role that everyone can play that like, even like there's people like I can't roller skates and I'm afraid to, that's like, there is 30 different non-skating things we need to happen. Right. That like there's, there's room for everyone. And it isn't even just like come as you are. It's like, no, we love you exactly where you are mm-hmm. and we're going to be in it together. I was just talking to my teammates yesterday about like, what about it? What about the sport is different. And there is really just like, you're just in the hardness together that there's not an, there's not an aspect of like, I'm not good at the skill. So I'm going to work on it alone. Mm-hmm. That like, because roller derby is such a team sport that no, we're going to work on it together and we're going to be in it together. And I, I cried at practice on Wednesday and my teammates were like, we're going to keep working on this. And if you need to take a break, we can, but we're going to keep going because you can not like, yeah. we're going to keep going because we don't care how you feel. It's like, no, we know you can keep doing this. And yeah, just, and like the sport is fun. Yeah. Um, it's a great time. <laughs> <laughs> I, I remember going to some matches back in Savannah. We had the Derby Devils. I don't know if they're still mm-hmm. around, but shout out Derby Devils. <laughs> And it was always such a great time. The atmosphere is so fun. Yeah. I think we were talking earlier where if there's like some chance that a fight could break out in the sport, you're going to want to watch it. <laughs> and so that's yeah. what I always found really fun that it was like such a bruiser sport. It's sick. Yeah. Yeah. And like, I will say that in modern derby, like fist fights don't happen. Right. Like it is, it's honestly very similar to the coffee community. Also, I realized I didn't say my, my league's name or Chicago style roller derby. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's very similar to coffee. I would say that like, it's a community. We're all in the sport because we love it. Like, unless you're like a top 10 team, like none of us are getting paid. We're just doing it because we love it. Like we're adults mm-hmm. playing a high contact sport just for fun. Um, and like, especially moving out of the pandemic, it's like, we're all in it because we love it. Mm-hmm. Um, which is great. But like you there's teams that like you're playing against, but there's times where it's like, that was a really good hit. Like that was a really yeah. great play. And you can just like, like, yeah, you're doing great. And you're like opposing the team that like, it really is a really good community all around. Yeah. It's, it's, it looks like a lot of fun. Yeah. I, it, I'm probably not going to play, but I definitely <laughs> enjoy, enjoy watching, um, like, roller yeah. derby. And uh, I know like it's 
it's not similar to hockey, but it, it kind of has that same kind of vibe around it, like the culture of it mm-hmm. with more teeth. Um, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, so uh, yeah, I, I don't know if there's anything like that in Montreal. I guess somebody send me a message on Instagram if there is. Um, yes. But- uh, so it's funny. We just hosted, so Montreal Roller Derby, their, their team is so good. Oh, <laughs> we just hosted. Um, yeah. Yeah. So we hosted. Um, her name is Miracle Whips. She's like one of the best. So one of the positions in roller derby is a jammer. That's who scores points. Mm-hmm. Um, Miracle Whips, does, she's an incredible skater all around, but she's a really good jammer. And we hosted a clinic with her, like I want to say a month and a half ago. Um, and yeah, so it was just really funny to learn that like, that's where you're at. I'm like, oh, we just had... <laughs> We just had miracle lifts here. <laughs> I've got to figure out where that where they uh, where they play then because that's that's yeah. probably fun to watch. Yeah, and like especially, um, a lot of leagues are like hosting games again, um, and not just like there was a lot of like closed scrimmages where teams mm-hmm. would play each other, but you can have spectators. Um, we're definitely moving into a place where like there are games happening that people can go to. Um, and yeah, Montreal Roller Derby is super good. Yeah, that yeah. Sounds, I'm gonna check it out then. Yeah. Um, you also like to do show photography. Yeah, um, I do. I checked out some of the photos. It it looks like y'all have a great like scene going on in Chicago. Um, shout out the Second Wind. <laughs> I I just learned about them because you you put put some photos up. Um, what, what do you find? I find it fascinating watching show photographers and then seeing how the camera, like the, the photos come out afterwards, but like adjusting to the conditions, you have zero control over lighting. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. There's moshing happening, uh, yep. and stage diving and all kinds of stuff. Um, what do you find is the hardest thing to do in that getting these great photos? What, what do you, I don't even know where to start with that. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I would say that the hardest part is always the lighting. Okay. That's, like the like lighting is always so unpredictable and I like all around, like going to shows just to like be there or photographing them. I hate strobe lights. It just like messes with me. And yeah. so having to shoot a show where it's like strobing, I'm like, I don't, this isn't fun anymore. Um, but like everyone, everyone is great. Like all of, like all the bands that I've been photographing um, are just like, super respectful. Um, the boys in second one are great. Um, and they're just like those guys and some of the other bands that I've been photographing, but like, they're just excited to like have someone doing pictures that like, they're just like, they want it to work for all of us. Um, and like even like people at shows, like even if they're moshing or like they're passing a crowd surfer that like, like oh this they've got a camera and we're gonna like (laughs) keep things contained a little bit i was shooting a show it was like i was there for phineas but there was like a few other bands Mm -hmm. and there was this like there's this guy like kind of in front to the side of me and there was like a moment of like getting annoyed that he like kept putting his hands up until i realized he was like throwing crowd surfers away from me (laughs) so i could get pictures and at that point i'm like oh I see what's happening here and I appreciate it. Yes. Um, but I do think that like the chaos of it is kind of a draw for me. I joke that I have half of a photography degree. I like 
did half of schooling and art school just kind of steals your soul out from under you. Yes. Um, and I had to take a break cause I just wasn't enjoying photography anymore. And, um, then I like, I stepped into it again within the past couple of years that like not being a, not being so in control that like, I've done like family portraits before mm-hmm. or like just like personal portraits. Um, I photographed a good friend of mine's wedding, which like was rewarding and I loved it, but like I have too much control, right? <laughs> like there's too much is on my shoulders that doing show photography, so much is out of my hands that like if photos end up like grainy or like there's a little bit of a blur, it's like, I did my best. I did what I could in the environment. And I so much more enjoy like candids and like really like capturing how it's happening. Not just like that, like, I think there was like a little bit of hesitation at some of these shows, like some of the guys because of the pandemic hadn't played shows before. And there was like a moment of insecurity of like, Oh, I have to like be a certain way or like look a certain way. And it's like, no, just like, I want to capture how you are experiencing this right now. Right. Um, and that's been super rewarding. And like, I've had like people reach out afterwards and it's like, I've never been on stage before. And like seeing those pictures made me feel so cool. Like mm-hmm. I've never seen myself that way. That like, is so rewarding. And it's like, I love that you feel comfortable telling me that. It's like, <laughs> I love it. Yeah. Uh, show photographers are like the heroes of the scene. Especially <laughs> like when I was in my like, you know, early bands, like in high school and stuff. And it was always like, if we knew there was a photographer there, we would always try to be friends with them because yeah. they're going to make us look great. And they're probably going to do the most for our band because our recordings are shit. So, <laughs> so if you have good photos, you know, on your Facebook or MySpace, God, if anybody remembers yeah. that, um, <laughs> then like, you know, that's like what's going to do it for you. And then maybe mm-hmm. you can play enough shows to pay for better recordings. But yeah, usually if you have a show photographer, all they want is a photo credit and you tell like your other friends and when you get some, get some change or get some money, then yeah. you can pay them to do your, your cool, like you know, outdoor dressy shots, but yeah, they were always the heroes in the scene and they made bands look way better than we actually sounded. So (laughs) yeah, um, I've always, I've always had such a, uh, such like a respect seeing like a show photographer, like in the middle of like, (laughs) there's like a stage diver coming over their head, (laughs) but they they get that shot. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. So I've always wondered how do y'all deal with that? It's, it looks yeah scary. <laughs> yeah, it's chaos. And I I learned at a recent show that like people can't always see the camera because I wear all black and mm-hmm. I have a black camera strap and a black camera. That if I just like hold it above my head, people part like the Red Sea. That <laughs> like, oh, there's a camera. There's a piece of equipment that is yes. probably twelve hundred dollars. Yes. Don't want to touch it. <laughs> um, and so kind of waving it around a little bit. Mm-hmm. Um, but also just like being like aware and like when I like the shows that I photograph are shows that I would be going to anyways but like I listen to that music I'm not like stepping into a world that I am unfamiliar with um and I've like joked before that like I've said that I don't I've never fallen in the pit and people are like oh you know whatever I don't believe you but I'm like I play roller derby and I'm solid (laughs) And that, that comes in handy for photography. I like brace myself mm-hmm. and people are like, Oh, yep. 
this is a person that is familiar and in the industry and like in this world, like they're good. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, you have a shout out for any of the bands that you've recently photographed, like photographed that people should know about. Like you beat me to it. I'm like, sorry. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, it's just like all the second wind boys are great. Um, but the frontman Dane and I are really good friends. Mm-hmm. Um, they're super fun. Uh, I love their music, uh, from a similar, so they played, they did a show back in May where it was like four or five local bands, um, that, uh, far under played. Um, I know that they're like some moving some stuff around and I know the second wind boys are moving some stuff around. Um, but far under is doing super cool stuff. Uh, I haven't seen them in a few years. Um, and it's like slightly bigger than those boys, but like, Belmont was super fun to shoot. Mm-hmm. Um, I photographed them in this, like, it was like a party room at a bowling alley. Oh, that's cool. Um, it was like my sister and I, I was photographing them for one of my photography class finals. Um, and they were super great. Um, and it was just a really fun show. I recently saw them with Kublicon and Stick to Your Guns. <laughs> yeah. And yeah. Belmont is not like a band that I listen to you know, regularly, I'm very familiar with their sound and everything, but seeing them live, they were one of the tightest bands I have ever seen. Yeah. Yeah. And so much energy. Yeah. They're super fun. I am really bummed. I couldn't, that tour came through Chicago Mm -hmm. and I'm super bummed. I didn't get to go. I'm still like not a hundred percent comfy going to shows alone. Mm -hmm. And I'm like, especially like, I love Kublai Khan, but I don't know if I want to be there by myself. <laughs> hey, it's it's fun. Like if you go by yourself, you just keep a low profile, sit in the back. Yeah. You, you can look cool. Like you just keep your arms folded. Yeah. Yeah. That's yeah. that's the move. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. That, but that was such a fun show. I, I'm bummed that I'm yeah. bummed for you that you didn't get to see it. Yeah. Well, Haley, this has been a lot of fun. Yeah. I appreciate you sharing all about the coffee and, and uh, about roller derby. That's a first for the podcast. Thank you so <laughs> yeah. much. I just have one last question for you before we wrap it up. Yeah. What's your favorite city for beans and breakdowns? So I was thinking about this one. I like, I'm biased to say Chicago, mm-hmm. but I will say that what I would consider a really underrated coffee scene is Columbus, Ohio. Mm-hmm. Um, I've been to a couple of shows that they're not necessarily like metal course shows. Um, but they're, they've got the venues I've been to have been super cool, but their coffee and their coffee scene is incredible. Um, they're doing super cool stuff out there. Um, and people make fun of me when I say that I love Columbus, Ohio, because it's Ohio. Um, but yeah, I love it out there. So that would be my answer. Hey, Ohio gets a bad rap. Columbus is definitely not Akron. So <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and I say that as somebody who's who's part of their family lives in Akron. Uh, so yeah. I can tell you firsthand, <laughs> Columbus is better. Yeah. Well, that's awesome. What give give me a give me your favorite shop from Columbus? Yeah, I love the Roosevelt. Um they do a lot of like nonprofit work. Mm-hmm. Um they have, they end up doing like an end of year write up of like, these are like the amount of wells we built or like how much clean water we provided. Um, like they have the receipts for the work that they oh, did. Yeah. Um, and their coffee is phenomenal. That's great. Um, so I love the Roosevelt. See, that's, that's a coffee shop after my heart when they'll, they'll put yeah. out their entire financial statement 
and show mm-hmm. you exactly where like the money you spent went. Yeah. I love that. Yeah. Um, a, a coffee shop I did want to name drop in Chicago that like they're new to having a storefront. Um, they're called coffee, hip hop and mental health. Ooh. Um, they are non-for-profit it's pay what you can and they fund, um, specifically black people in the community to be seeing therapists. Their owner, Christopher is amazing. And he's mm-hmm. like, I could have really benefited from this. Um, and so they give scholarships for people in their community to see therapists. Right. And then they host group therapy in the shop nice. that they'll send out, like they'll choose like a hip hop album that everybody will listen to that week. And then they have a therapist on site to guide the conversation. Um, and they're just doing super incredible work. That's awesome. I that I yeah. mean, that's mind blowing to me. So yeah, that's such a great use of the coffee community and, and to, yeah. to bring people together like that. That's awesome. I'm gonna have to look into that because that just made yeah. me super excited. Yeah, um, absolutely. But Haley, thank you so much for hanging out on a Sunday afternoon. Yeah, thank you. Uh, I, I hope that uh, everything keeps going great with Brewpoint and your roasting career and everything. So thank you so much. Awesome. Thank you. Thanks for listening to this episode of Beans and Breakdowns. I want to say a huge thanks to Haley for hanging out on the podcast. It was uh, such a fun time talking about roasting and roller derby. If you're interested in anything that Haley's working on, please check the links in the description. Uh, I'll put links to the roller derby stuff, some of the photography, and especially Brewpoint Coffee. If you've enjoyed the podcast, please subscribe and leave a review. You can also find out more information about the podcast by following us on Instagram at Beans and Breakdowns and on the web at beansandbreakdowns.com. Until next week, stay caffeinated and wake the fuck up.